Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera news updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Edward Snowden kicked up an epic shitstorm when he decided to blow the whistle on his boss, the NSA. The thousands of documents he leaked through the journalist Glenn Greenwald revealed that the American government was spying on its own citizens, all of them, in bulk. And the response was incendiary. There was outrage in the public. There was outrage from the left. There was outrage from the right. Obama had to address this. He spoke out about the NSA. He instituted reforms. Whether or not he went far enough, whether they're meaningful, that is a debatable question. What is not in doubt is that this was big news. Maybe the story of the year. That's in America. What about here in Canada, where we have learned also through Snowden leaks that very similar things are happening here through our own signals intelligence agency, CSEC? Well, Here's how The Globe puts it. The Globe and Mail, article by Elizabeth Renzetti. The headline reads, as government snoops, Canadians take a nap. Renzetti writes, government snooping on digital communications, which is a front page issue in much of the world, is greeted with yawns in Canada. You know what? She is right. I don't dispute that at all. But I do ask the question, who's writing those front pages? Who's deciding what gets reported, how thoroughly, and where it appears in the newspaper, and how urgent it seems once it gets there? Is there a relationship between the mild Canadian response to surveillance and the journalism we've received about it? Well, joining me in a moment to talk about all this is Colin Freeze, national security reporter for The Globe and Mail. Wait for it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world, and BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help, and one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're, if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder. I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day 
outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. Are you doing your taxes? Are you going through all your old invoices sent from Microsoft Word or Excel? Are you sorting through a shoebox of expense receipts with the ink all smudged off? How about this time next year you press a button and everything will be sorted out for you? by FreshBooks. FreshBooks.com is the sponsor of this show. They make the world's best invoicing and billing software, cloud accounting with FreshBooks.com. You can try it out for free for 30 days. Why not do that right now? Sign up for a free trial. Tell them who sent you. Visit FreshBooks.com. All right, let's let's see where we're at so far. Sure. What do we know? There's a phone metadata collection from CSEC. Mm-hmm. Well, I, we know there's metadata, metadata collection. We don't, we don't know. I mean, in the United States, we know there's phone and there's internet protocol and all that stuff. Yeah. CSEC is never defined just what it considers metadata on any level. Right. Right. So it's conjecture. We know that it, the NSA metadata is how long your phone call was, what number did you call from, what number did you call to. Right. Is yeah. there location data in NSA's definition of metadata? It gets really technical, really legal very quick. But, I mean, the, the NSA, thanks to Snowden, has published documents about its phone record metadata program. It's internet protocol address program. And I, I don't think geolocation has ever been a specific program, but but we know from a, a Washington Post Barton Gelman article about a, a project called Co-Traveler, where it can watch you and I walk down the street and go through nine neighborhoods. They'll do a tower dump. They'll look at all the phones that have gone through these nine neighborhoods. And by the end, there'll be only the two of us that have walked through these nine neighborhoods together. So they, right. the NSA has the capacity to sort of Uses algorithms to like funnel down, you know, a million yeah, process cell phones. of elimination, and right. then, and then you, they triangulate. So, so it, it it amounts to like recessive location data. It's not real time tracking. It's right. after the fact they can tell where you were. Right. So high degrees of specificity about what the U.S. is doing, uh, and that's you know Snowden forced their hand. In Canada, we we still don't. Apart from the couple of Snowden documents that have been released on on what communication security establishment Canada is doing. We still have no idea. There's nothing in public documents to specify even what the definition of metadata is for Canadian. But we do code. know that they're collecting metadata, right? however they d- define that. Yeah. In June, I wrote some stories about how, dating back to at least 2005, we got our ministers of national defense, there's been a few of them now, to sign off on what's known as a ministerial directive, authorizing CSEC to collect metadata broadly, including some Canadian metadata, in pursuit of its overarching objectives, which is find the bad guys in the wider world. And, you know, but apart from these documents saying that the Canadian government can do this because Canadians' conversations are shielded, they're protected, but they, they write very explicitly that metadata is not a conversation. It's not an email message. It is something other. And so legally, it can be treated as something other. I want to talk about that a little yeah. bit more later, because I know that because of 
CSEC's very specific mm -hmm. interpretation of language, mm -hmm. what it is to track, what is surveillance, and their definitions may be different than what your common right. Canadian would consider to qualify. But first, like, I just want to run down the list. So, like, okay, so I, I take it that the, the, we know so much less about what CSEC has been up to than the Americans know about, about right. the NSA, but we do know some things, thanks in part to your reporting. We know that some kind of metadata collection also at some undisclosed mid-city airport. Right. That, that was the uh, CBC published uh, leak about the Snowden document about uh, this exercise where CSIC basically took traveler data from devices that were using airport Wi-Fi and looked at where they were going and what they were doing. And I, this is what made, I think, some people's head explode, which is that, wait, you're not supposed to be spying in Canada. How can you be doing this. And the answers that came back in very carefully worded statements is, and, and this was voiced primarily through the watchdog agency, which which is that, it, no, it is legal. It's just metadata and, you know, no identities were revealed. So, yeah. yeah. And they're pointing to a definition of what CSEC's parameters are, what their mandate is. They're not allowed yeah. to spy on Canadians. And they say, well, we're allowed to, to get metadata. And they're pointing back to a bill that predates like the term metadata. Well, actually, if you talk to a CSEC guy, they say metadata has always been around. You know, we, we used to spy on, uh, you know, when, when our uh, corporate ancestors were spying on on Nazi communications that, you know, a, a radio transmission could be considered metadata. But your point is taken. There is no legal definition of, of metadata in Canada that works for everybody. There is CSIC's very particular and secretive. Yeah. With electronic messages, there's always been stuff around the message. But I would say that this notion that it, the stuff around the message can be treated different than the message itself when it comes to your citizens – that's what's new in the last 10 well, if, years. Well, if a private eye in the 40s were to, like, follow you to a payphone, right. like, you know, look through binoculars at what number you dialed, write down how long the call was, right. and then followed you to the next place, you could say, well, I wasn't spying on him. I didn't hear the conversation. I right. think most of us would be like, yeah, that's bullshit. You were spying on me. Well, right. And, and in fact, even another example is, is, you know, I think and this has happened. Police through the decades have wanted to take a peek into your mailbox and see who's been sending you letters. Write it down. Right. And, you know, it's just the envelope. It's just metadata. It's just metadata. Okay, you know? so, <laughs> so just, I mean, I know that yeah. this stuff is, it's so technical and expansive, yeah. but we'll try to get it down to a list of what we do know. And we also, sure, so sure. much of it is in shadows. So we know about the Brazil thing. We know they've been right. spying at the highest levels uh, on behalf of industry in, in, in Brazil. Ooh, I, 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 on behalf of industry, is it, uh, uh, they, they fight that too. I mean, it is... Canada's trying to look at what Brazil's energy sector is doing. Do they pass what they learn to corporations in our oil sands? They say no, they, they wouldn't do that. Is there I mean, reason to believe that they do? Um, there, there was uh, some articles insinuated that CSIC officials were sitting down with uh, some of the pipeline companies. And, you know, separate and apart from that, they were also spying on Brazil. So, therefore, if they are meeting with pipeline companies and they are spying on Brazil, do they pass that manila envelope uh, to the pipeline companies? Gotcha. And then what about the G20? Actually, there's been a couple of documents about CSIC's role in the G20. The more damning one was was... There was G20, I think, 2009 London, where the Five Eyes got together. And we should probably say here that the Five Eyes are, is Canada in cahoots with the Americans and the British and the Australians and the New Zealanders working together as this enormously powerful spying collective. Anyway, G20 meeting in London, there was some paper flying around between the agencies saying, wouldn't it be nice if we could hack into Blackberries that diplomats from our countries don't bring to the G20 meeting. So CSIC presumably has, just being more proximate to, to Research in Motion or now BlackBerry, might have had some, you know, was looped in on this correspondence and, and uh, the British agency claimed they had had the successes there. There was a second leak involving correspondence between 
CSE and the NSA during the Toronto G20 meeting, whether what kind of accommodations could be reached between the CSE and the NSA in terms of what they would do to monitor communications around that G20 meeting, whether that would involve outsourcing spying to the NSA that was suggested, you know, or whether this was protection of communications that was also suggested. That one is, a, a, at least to my mind, is a little bit more murky what happened there. I don't, I just don't know. We do know that in terms of further NSA CSEC collaboration, mm-hmm. the NSA was bragging about having finessed Canada into taking control of this algorithm process, which, right. you know, effectively, if Canada rolled over for the NSA there, they, right. they handed like the keys to decoding millions of communications Right, to right. To the Americans. That was something that was revealed. That particular leak was along the line. There is an international internet encryption governing body, and, and CSE had a seat at the table, and uh, the correspondence was along the lines that the NSA was asked Canada to get off out of that seat so they could sit there and, and water down encryption standards, which I think is, you know, among the more, of all the things released to date, that that's damning because, you, you know, you're you're actually undermining everybody's security, not just... All know, these countries, yeah. yeah, there's an international standards effort to, like, let's all get together and put together some encryption so we can communicate diplomatically in secret. Right. Canada sells out that process, lets the NSA have a backdoor key to just decoding all of that stuff. Yeah, I, you know, I, I thought that, that was amazing. I mean, now whether Canada was, how much Canada was looped in on what the NSA was trying to do there. I don't know, but I mean, it, it is, it certainly does seem sinister that, I mean, if you're going to water down encryption, then it's not just the five eyes that would probably benefit from that. That's everybody's encryption is yeah. vulnerable, right? I mean, that's, you know, you're, you're exposing communications to uh, conceivably a variety of, of, of parties who could, could get this key if the communications that we thought were, were shielded are in fact not. And then we have this um, uh, judge ruling that that CSEC had deliberately misled the courts in order to obtain surveillance warrants. Yeah, that was that was another thing. Uh, I mean, that was a terrorism invest- investigation. There was uh, five years ago, CSEC's other intelligence agency counterpart, the Human Spies (CSIS), Canadian Security Intelligence Service. These are the the spies that don't work predominantly with computers, they were having trouble following... I guess that's the CIA to CSEC's NSA. Yeah, something like... Yeah, it's, it's a distinction between human intelligence and signals intelligence. Okay. So it's, it's like the, the computer geeks and the football players, something like that. But but there was this problem because because our CSIS is only allowed, only has the ability to eavesdrop on people within Canada. They go to a judge and get a warrant like cops do. They were seeing Canadian terrorism suspects go to places like... Pakistan or Afghanistan or, or Somalia and you know what they told the judge was something along the lines that uh, hey we buddy goes out of the country and we, we go dark and that's a really disturbing thing can we enlist our powerful foreign intelligence signals agency to continue the um, the surveillance and you know this went back and forth in the courts and the judge a judge Richard Mosley eventually approved this power but five years later uh, he proved it in like 2009 but three four four or five years later he comes back and says hey wait a minute I've, I've looked back at this and you didn't tell me that you were actually continuing the surveillance by telling the American and the British what these Canadian citizens who haven't been found guilty of a crime who have inalienable uh, charter rights you didn't tell me you were looping in the allies on what these Canadian suspects are doing. And that's disturbing because that means you lose control of the investigation. That means people could get hurt. People could go to jail. And he didn't say this, but I mean, yeah. you know, we know how the Americans deal with terrorism suspects in places like Waziristan. I uh-huh. mean, that's, that's no Miranda warnings in Waziristan. I mean, you're, you're the worst case scenario. I mean, it could mean somebody gets blown up with a drone missile. 
I mean, these are each of them pretty shocking revelations, mm-hmm. um, whether they are of the same magnitude as the NSA revelations, maybe. We don't know enough to make that judgment. But in the states where similar revelations have taken place, also through the Snowden leaks, this has been huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, this has been, the New York Times public editor called this uh, the ultimate story with legs this year. Mm-hmm. It was just in the papers constantly, constantly. There was constant investigation. And it went to a point where Obama had to make a speech about sure. it and promise reforms at the NSA. Uh, and it's debatable how effective those are. But this was a major, major news event in the United States, whereas here in Canada, your colleague at The Globe, uh, columnist uh, Elizabeth Renzetti, said that you know Canadians' response has been to roll over and go to sleep. And that, and that news about surveillance in Canada has been met with yawns. Right. It's, Is it true? Do we not give a shit about this here? I, I've I've thought a lot about this. I mean, it's it's, you know, I mean, the stories that we're leading – our website and most of them last last week were were Hawking and Tim Hortons. Uh, it is harder to get traction on some of these more esoteric security issues, and I think there's something in the political culture here where decades and decades ago the Americans overthrew the king, and we got a culture of people who they they were very fearful of tyranny, and we apparently had no problem with that. And I'm not saying that these are <laughs> <laughs> these are not tyrannical agencies, but I, I mean we uh, there is a deference in the Canadian political culture that I think makes people think our government probably has our best interests at heart, and, and maybe they do, but... Uh, do you know a lot of people who think that, who think that the government probably has well, their best interests at heart? I mean, I, I hear this yeah. sort of psychological explanation about ca- Canadian deference, and Americans are like, you know, don't tread on me, my rights, and, you know, right. no right. kings, and, and the Canadians are polite, and, and we just assume... I don't actually feel that in play. Like, I wonder if it isn't just more of a practical... There are, you know, maybe dozens of American journalists who this is all that they do. Right, right. Is there one... I mean, you are running lead at this at the Globe and Mail, and, and you're sure. If I understand it, is not just Canadian intelligence, but security in a in, a, in an international. Well, uh, it, it's evolved over the years. In fact, right now I'm part of what's called the investigative team. So I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago about you know high numbers of murders and housing projects. So security is a big part of what I do. National security is a big part of what I do, but it's not all that I do. I mean, it's not yeah. to, to de- yeah. degrade or diminish the fact that you have been working your ass off and, and breaking a lot of news on this. But what, sure. what my point is, is there one journalist at a mainstream news outlet in Canada whose only job is to watch Canadian intelligence? Well, it's a big issue and people take different perspectives. I think Stuart Bell of, of the National Post is very good at, at documenting how Canadian extremists travel in the wider world and how terrorism can come home to roost. I mean, Michelle Shepard of The Star, you know, has done a lot of reporting on the ground from places like uh, uh, Somalia and uh, and Kenya and, and Yemen and places like that. Jim Bronskill, Canadian Press. Everybody makes a contribution. But, but it's, you know, if there is a club, it's a very small club. I think all the names that you listed, and there's no slight to them, because I think that those are people who do incredibly good work. Yeah. There's a second tier of journalists, you know, and maybe I was one of them when I was uh, writing sure. about the stuff at McLean's who are responsible for covering a ton of stuff right. and sometimes surveillance. And when I see the majority of coverage of this stuff, mm-hmm. it is by people who do not have the background and foundation in these issues to divine fact from fiction in the jargon that the CSEC right. throws at them. And the same Rolodex of guests gets trotted out. When this is in broadcast right. media, it's always like Ray... Ray Boisvert, uh, formerly of CSIS. It's yeah. a former spook who comes on and tells us we have nothing to worry sure. about. And we, I see him again and again and again. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, I, I kind of sometimes I'm like yelling at the screen or the radio because like somebody needs to correct him on this stuff or challenge him on this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've known Ray. I've quoted Ray. I mean, he's again, he's rooted in the fundamentally good guy rooted, but rooted in the human intelligence world and not in this this signals intelligence world of which there are very few people who I mean, everybody who is part of that world is sworn to secrecy. And apart from one significant leaker CSIC produced in the 1990s, there hasn't been anybody who's come out of that organization generally, maybe a couple, but I mean, it, it, people are, are literally sworn to secrecy for all of their lives. I mean, that's no different yeah. than the NSA, right. um, you know, yeah. but they, they did have a Snowden and we haven't had a Snowden. And they, yeah. and, and I think that they've said that they are explicitly doing, taking measures to make sure that they don't have a whistleblower. Right. Well, I mean, that's the... Uh, that's their job, I guess. That's their job. I mean, the Snowdens are, are a rare breed. Although in 1995 or thereabouts, there was a CSIC whistleblower named Mike Frost who had been a 40-year CSIC employee and and wrote this book that is actually very revealing about how Cold War era CSIC did some interesting things. Like he wrote in in great detail about how uh, they set up a a spying operation in the Canadian embassy in Moscow, how they had to smuggle like pieces of surveillance gear piece by piece in in diplomatic bags so we could listen to the Russians. And uh, he had some information about, you know, the RCMP directing CSIC to spy on uh, Margaret Trudeau's car phone when she was the wife of prime minister i don't i didn't know what we had car phones back then but that's what he asserted and and you know figure out whether she was who she was talking to whether she's smoking dope or or, or stuff like that it, right hoover type stuff hoover type stuff right so and frost this book particular book has its detractors but there's still some people in the states who hold up today saying this is the most a great insight into the signals intelligence world that the u.s didn't produce any anybody like this till snowden um there was somebody else wasn't there, wasn't there a woman who like found herself she was working for c-sec and she found herself like eavesdropping on some woman's conversation with her gynecologist yeah andrew mitrovica was telling me yeah about this her. was uh, jane shorten i think that's and, right and mitrovica did some uh articles about her back in the day and and that was um a bit before my time, but she also comes up as, as the, you know, there was a New York Times article written about her in the mid-90s. So these types of people are, are very rare in, in Canada. I mean, it's, it's I think just percentage-wise, you're going to have few leakers in Canada. But, you know, there are these sort of principled people who pop up from time to time. The Canadian agency is maybe like a tenth or a twentieth the size of, of the U.S. agency. So percentage-wise, you're going to have fewer leakers. But, you know, what? When they when they do come along, they they say incredibly insightful things that you've never heard anywhere else because largely we're the public is shut out of this arena. There's yeah, you know, so. yeah, and and on this panel that we're uh, appearing on, but by the time people hear this, it'll it'll oh. have passed. But uh, CSEC was invited to send somebody, and they and they declined. Yeah, I mean, it's incredibly hard to actually get straight answers to straight questions out of them. Although we're, you know, I'm trying. I mean, they theirs is a voice that should be represented. I mean, I think. They're, they're in uh, yeah. like they're in like contempt of of like I think they've shown nothing but bad faith mm. when it comes to transparency. Or they always pointed to their mandate. Well, we we are like it's illegal for us to survey to direct our activities right. at Canadians. And then it comes out, well, yeah, but while we're directing our activities at somebody else, we might also be spying on Canadians. And we don't track Canadians, but if they are getting our metadata, there is a chance and they're you know, getting our metadata in airports. I think that there's probably a decent chance that they're getting location data. So they're not tracking us because they haven't specifically targeted one Canadian to you know put a tracking you right. know, button on you, but they, they may very well be able to track where you have been. I mean, all this, this, this like... Uh, you know, weaselly, you know, use right. of language is sort of the enemy of the kind of clarity that a journalist like yourself is trying to bring to your readers. Well, that's that's the thing. And I think at the very least, it'd be nice if somebody could give us a list of verbs as they understand them, like collect, 
Target, <laughs> track, you know, uh, communications, right? Communications. communications, like the documents, you know, the, yeah. the, the, that I got on metadata is, is you know, it's, it states there in a briefing note, metadata is not a telecommunication. It is the information around a telecommunication. And, and why is that important? It, to you and I, it doesn't matter. To them, it means it's, oh, oh, okay. Can't listen to a Canadian conversation, Canadian metadata. It's it's a whole different animal. So my, you know, so it's. I mean, nothing could be more boring for people to read than a semantic debate about how you define the word communication. Right. Is that why the public has failed to really grab onto this stuff? Well, I'll tell you, I've, I've, I've been scratching around on, uh, you know, uh, CSIC for a while. And without Snowden, it would have been very tricky to write at the length that I did. It's just it's just too off the too esoteric, too off the radar screen. It yeah. is you know, I think I published one article about metadata two years before and, and literally you're you you're sitting shoulder to shoulder with an editor for like an hour in a time compressed news process to to try to like go from this arcane technical legal world to to something that, you know, my grandmother in Sudbury could understand. And yeah. it's, it's it's you know, these these things work against ongoing and, and you know to, to the globe's credit, I work at a newspaper that actually allows reporters to invest some time in certain subject matters, even if there's no immediate payoff. And a lot of news agencies don't don't have that luxury, right? So, yeah. But yeah, it, the the it's an obtuse sort of debate, and it it doesn't matter until it matters, right? In the same way, in the U.S., like we heard about warrantless wiretapping for ten years, and it wasn't until people, Verizon customers were like. What the hell? They're taking my phone records? Yeah. You know, I mean, they're, yeah. and they're telling me they're not spying on me? How does that compute, right? So I wonder you know. if we haven't done them a tremendous favor in using their jargon and terminology. I mean, you know, the term metadata is itself like, uh, it's so obfuscatory and it, it just sounds like something that I know 90% of people are going to be like, well, that sounds like something that I'm not going to worry about. Right. And, and it's not that complicated a concept when you actually explain it. It's right. like the vast majority of reasonable people would consider metadata to be private information. And, right. And, it, and, and calling it metadata as opposed to just data or just information my, my, or my phone records. Right. Is a – it serves the purposes of CSEC in trying to keep people disengaged from this and accepting of their practices. Well, yeah. I mean I, this is the thing is, is like metadata is not metaphysical. It is a mechanic. It is a phone log. It is an internet protocol address. It is geolocation information. It is the government knowing where you are, where you could be. It's, if you actually talked about these things with some specificity, you know, it would be very helpful. And it's also, I mean, there there could very well be, I think, if you're fishing with a pole in Lake Superior, there's different rules than if you're fishing with a trawler in the, in the Pacific. You know what I yeah. mean? There's, you know... Bulk collection bulk versus collection targeted versus collection. versus targeted yeah. collection. And maybe the rules should be different on some level, but, you know, that's a conversation you might want to have. You know, I think I think it's uh, it's such a tricky one. I don't mean to make it sound overly simple because, mm-hmm. you know, we're always struggling for these metaphors um, right. rooted in, like, people's vocabulary of spy films and whatnot. Right. Because most people, I think, to hear, well, they're spying on everybody. So that doesn't feel like the movie where, like, somebody has targeted me. But, in fact, if they're spying on everybody and collecting mm-hmm. bulk records right what they'll be able to do with that in time regressively might exceed the intrusion of a, cl- a classic wiretap oh. in a movie oh yeah i mean this is why i think it, it, these agencies would do themselves a favor if they gave plain language answers how long you're retaining this stuff for we we heard at a parliamentary committee the other week that there is a retention period so presumably 
seasick 40 years from now won't know won't be have every freaking phone number i've called on my phone over the last 40 years because you could you know you can, what, what is that retention period we don't know they uh. wouldn't say they say we have one but we don't but they won't say what the retention period is so i mean this is i think they hurt themselves by the you know and with metadata there there are certain privacy protections built into how they handle it but they won't say what they are. So, yeah. so I mean, it, it's. But it even seems know, even the courts seem to be confused by by what they're doing. Yeah. And they seem and they you know by, by that judge's ruling they are intentionally. I mean, if they're intentionally misleading the court, yeah, which is yeah. what that judge found, then then I, I wouldn't put the past them to be intentionally misleading journalists well, and therefore the public. That's the thing. It's it's you know I I feel like this is like the the enriched class and the rest of us are in special ed because we're we're and I'm sorry, but I mean it's just like they've they've taken this to extremely advanced legal and sophisticated arguments that make sense to themselves. But un- unless you can bring it back to the public and say, this is why we're doing this in, in very plain language. You know, and as we get further away from 9-11, everybody likes to say, you know, if Osama bin Laden was calling Canada, we need a mechanism to to know who he's talking to. Great. But, you know, Osama bin Laden's at the bottom of the ocean. There's still, you know, you, you can't justify these sort of yeah. uh, war paradigm powers when people aren't necessarily feeling the threat to the same extent anymore. Have they cited any specific instances where they caught a bad guy and prevented something from no, happening? No, I would I would love to know a specific, you know, in the US, I mean this is they, they had this sort of special committee looking into whether its bulk collection programs had generated anything like that. And I think the answer was that came back was no, not really. You know, yeah. it's 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 so you you have programs of of great expense um that are valuable probably to a point, but I mean uh, you know, and that's a whole other issue is how much we're spending on this stuff. I mean, if 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 C six budget goes up from a hundred million bucks in in two thousand one to five hundred million bucks today, you know, are we getting <laughs> five times as much good stuff as we were getting before? I mean, it's, it's yeah, a, you, you know, where's the value for money? That's that's the other sure. Yeah. I mean, I hear your frustration and a, a plea for CSEC for clarity, but they're in the business of not doing that. You're in the other business. And, and I wonder, uh, within the Globe and Mail, are you the guy at the table saying, like, please bump this up, give us some more exposure, please, let's run this now? It is, is that part of your job? Like any reporter, I always think the story that I'm working on is the best and most important. Trying to agitate for the stories you think are important is any, any reporter's job, I think. I do think, though, if there had been no Edward Snowden and I was pulling out the documents from CSEC that I was getting before anyway, I don't... Would there have been the same, you know... Would anyone have given yeah, a damn if the Americans whatever. hadn't done it first? Yeah, exactly. It's a great hook for us to explore our own programs to the extent that we can. But, um, but yeah, we still don't know enough about them, bottom line. The question I'm always left with is, how does CSIC get its stuff? Where does it get Canadian metadata from, right? And this is an... I, 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 I'm not kidding. I just have no... Ins- I have a lot of educated guesses, but I have no insight as to how this actually works. Well, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to, to uh, put some you know usual yeah. suspects on that list. Right. Uh, are they getting that kind of help from the telecom companies? Right. I mean, and that's that's a great question. Now, the telecom companies will deny that up and, and down, but I mean, it's it's like... You don't have to be inside Bell to see Bell's communications, right? You could be in a, a carrier hotel to see what's – you could be in a switching station. You could, yeah. you could be in an undersea cable like outside the coastal waters of Canada, right? Yeah. I, I also – like I remember early on this, I kind of just to get it on record, uh, yeah. asked uh, the companies if they were involved in, in this stuff. And I got a lot of denials, not from everybody actually, but I got some denials just to get on the record that there were denials. But then I, I was also assured that if they were up to this, yeah. there'd be like three people who knew about it at those companies. Right. I mean, and that's the – there's one story, and this is in a different realm, but in the criminal realm, through re- cell phone regulation, this is a story I did with Rita Trisha at the Globe Mail. We got a document saying that 
if companies want cell phone licenses, then they have to play ball with basic surveillance capabilities that basically Bell and Rogers and TELUS are obliged to do 20 things if if a federal agent comes calling for intercept. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this stuff stands to reason. Anybody who knows, you know, basic geolocation, basic call logs, basic voice. But, you know, this was hashed out in a secret gentleman's agreement 20 years ago through a regulatory process, and it was never yeah. Law. Right. Yeah. And, and, and for the, all the conversation about warrants, we know that when it comes to law enforcement requests for Internet information, right. the vast majority of that stuff is just handed over without a warrant when law enforcement says this is urgent, we need it. If the big surveillance eye in the sky agency says metadata is not a telecommunication, how long till a cop at Waterloo Regional Police or, or, or in Lethbridge says, well, it's not a communication. So therefore, yeah. give me it. Right. Yeah. And, and this is the. This is, I mean, the lawful access legislation is a whole other debate, but the, the fact that we failed to pass a bill that everybody can, can live with means that the, it is, you know, it open, exposes the whole system to a lot of winks and nods and gentlemen's agreements because our laws were passed decades ago and they're trying to govern, you know, yeah. smartphone communications. Yeah. So maybe something like that, if, if, if uh, a big revelation about the, the telecom industry, or also, I mean, and this is sort of a doomsday scenario, but yeah. we are talking about a Canadian bureaucracy here. They don't have the greatest track record of, uh, you know, securing their data. And, right. uh, you know, <laughs> you know if, if we're curious what they're collecting, I wonder what's going to, what laptop is going to show up in a dumpster somewhere. Well, yeah, I mean, this is, this is the thing. We all have this interest now in, in making sure that our communications are actually kept secure. And that's why you would actually want to know at what points the government's in the, in the, Phone companies and the internet companies are intersecting, but right now we don't know a lot. There is an interesting initiative led by the folks at the Citizen Lab where they've written to Bell and Rogers and Telson, 16 other companies saying, listen, we need want to know in what circumstances you've handed over information to the cops and a long list of like geolocation, tower dumps, uh, subscriber yeah. information, like give us numbers. I mean, this is in the United States, they do do these things like Verizon has coughed this sort of stuff up. Right. So, yeah. Um, and just transparency reports, that's becoming the norm in America. There's yeah, a lot of pressure. I, mean, I think it's a truism, just to go back to the political culture thing. In America, they will always take any national security imperative way too far. But there's actually better self-corrective measures built into the system to pull them back, right? It doesn't yeah. mean that people do get engaged to actually force changes to these, you know, secret world stuff. Yeah, it's yeah, coming yeah. from the left and the right in the States. It's, right. Uh, you know, they, they, they swing hard one way, but then it, it, people very violently, you know, push back. And, right. And whereas I don't know if we, yeah. you know, I, 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 you know I, I think at the minimum I would like to, you know, it's, it's very difficult to find a parliamentarian in, in either house who's engaged in these issues. I don't know. I don't know why. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, I mean, there's the minister. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I mean, like nobody has made it their business to to be to stick about this. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 it. You know, there's a, the the pattern that follows is that there's a disclosure. You know, whether it's the Brazil thing or the airport Wi-Fi thing, the opposition gets exercised and starts asking a few questions. The minister of national defense, who operates CSIC, deflects them, and then it just dies away. And and uh, and they all point to this commission, this the commissioner of CSEC. Yeah. Like it's just sort of a lame watchdog who the last guy actually said, I can't, uh, you know, it's his job to warrant yeah. the parliament that what CSEC is doing is legal. And on one small point in his last uh, outgoing report, the last guy said, I can't give you that assurance because there's some missing documents here. Yeah. I mean, that was an interesting thing in the last report is that there wasn't, he was not possessed of sufficient information from the, from the data agency that couldn't give him enough data on, on to make his assessment of what's legal and what's not. And here's the problem. They're possessed of asking only one question is, is this lawful or is it not? It, it seems to me that CSIC 
more than any other agency in the federal government, gets to shape its own legal environment. Who got to decide that metadata is not telecommunications, the information around the, the communication? Well, I think that starts with the embedded lawyers within CSIC writing a legal opinion saying it, it, is, not, it is not a communication, it is something other. And then they get the Minister of National Defense to sign off on that. And this is in 2005. For 10 years, the, the agency is almost has almost has had this ability to play around with this stuff without parliament knowing without yeah. without a sitting judge now parliament and sitting judges are getting involved but they're coming to the debate like 10 eight nine ten years after the fact like they, right? they sat around a table and all agreed on on some terminology it's like you, you know the yeah. expression you can have your own uh opinions but you can't have your own facts you can't have your own dictionary i don't fault spy agencies for spying i fault you know lawmakers for not constraining and but right now they seem to have built csic as a sort of free-floating entity that doesn't like an extrajudicial, like who do they answer to? It's just, I mean, that's frightening. They, they don't exist in a judicial environment. No judge ever comes in and says that's lawful or not. It is often the Minister of National Defense, which is people like Rob Nicholson or Peter McKay or, or Bill Graham or David Pratt. And I went back to some of the old liberal ministers of national defense. I'm like, do you remember signing this thing? And do you know what you did? Do you know that that was kind of a fundamental thing that you changed? And? And? Well, if they they either had really good poker faces or or they didn't largely recollect what they had signed, you know, yeah. or, or they couldn't talk about it anyway. You know what Bill Graham said? Well, you know, when you're the minister, you got to give a lot of deference to your bureaucrats. And I'm like, you know, I mean, right. so so where's the challenge function? And and what I think is like, if you're going to have this arena, uh, the metaphor I gravitate towards now is is like there's one referee on the ice. If the government isn't mm-hmm. providing the proper check on this, if the opposition parties aren't providing the proper right. check, if the courts aren't putting a check on this, yeah. uh, if the public isn't informed enough to put a check on like, it, it's like there's you and, and like the half dozen journalists you mentioned. You know, the realm of hypothetical privacy breaches doesn't really – I'm not saying you should scare people, but people need to feel like they, they've got skin in the game. So and That might be yeah. it right there is, yeah. is that nobody has felt – that's what I always hear whenever I do like a three-minute talking head on any of these issues. is like, why should people care? How's it going to hurt them? Right, right. And you got to get kind of sci-fi-ish to explain that. you got to kind of speculate. Uh, right. Well, I mean everybody's speculating. I mean just because there's no no hard information and the reason there's no hard information is is – this system has been built to produce no hard information to the public. Talking about U.S. self-corrective measures, the Obama in making a speech in January declassified 40 secret intelligence court opinions to give the public some information. I would love it if they could, you know, you say this is transparent, put out the ministerial directives and authorizations that, that have been signed. That would help people understand, you know, where the lines are being drawn and where the friction points are. But right now, it's, it's, we're all groping in the dark. We just don't know. We don't know. Hey, that's your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can always email me, and if I can, I'll write back. I'm at jesse at jessebrown.ca. I am on Twitter at jessebrown. The website for this show is canadalandshow.com. There you will find more information about these podcasts, plus articles by me and other people posted all the time. The next podcast will be up on Monday. If you like this show, recommend it. 